0: is risen. Man, it is great to see everybody this morning. Uh, I can't think of a better way for us to celebrate our first Sunday back together as one body, Easter morning, uh, than to sing a song together. So let's all stand. Let's worship the Lord together. We're going to sing about the fact that death is defeated, that death was arrested, and that our freedom is forever in Christ. Let's sing together.
1: sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made way to let mercy come in.
2: When death was arrested,
1: Was redeemed, only beauty
2: remained.
1: My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to death. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, you're great so free washes
2: over me you have made me new now life begins with you it's your
1: I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was arrest and i
2: He cancelled my debt and he called me his friend. That's when death was.
1: rejoice the
2: but then Jesus, Jesus arose with a freedom
3: morning. Isn't it great to be free, if you're in Christ today, to know that you have eternal life, and that your life is in His Son, Jesus Christ, and that there is no one that can take that from you but if you're with us today and all of what happens today is new for you or you're a skeptic and you're not certain about what we're even doing here today in terms of celebrating Christ I would just pray that you would consider what's being said today um Wow, what a song to start with. You know, in this country, we can say we're free in a lot of ways. But to be able to say that I am free from the penalty of sin, that Jesus Christ took my place, and he took your place. I was reminded this last week, I was reading an article entitled, What Was Accomplished at the Cross? Because we celebrate today the resurrection of Christ. But as I told someone this week, we don't just celebrate that once a year. (laughs) We celebrate it every day, that he is alive. But I think it's important to be reminded about what Jesus Christ Accomplished at the cross and as I ran across this article this author pointed out eight things that were accomplished at the cross and And they put it in different terminology and maybe Some ways that that you haven't thought about before, but I wanted to read it to you What was accomplished number one jesus was punished That we might be forgiven Jesus was wounded that we might be healed Jesus was made sin that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. Jesus tasted death for us that we might share his life. Jesus was made a curse that we might receive the blessings. It reminded me of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church where he says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Jesus endured our poverty that we might share his abundance. Jesus bore our shame that we might share his glory. That's unfathomable. And then lastly, this author wrote, Jesus endured my rejection that I might have his acceptance. Those are all worth considering. And I trust that today for you that it's not just about Attending an Easter service. But you've come this morning because you believe. Because you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul outlined it in 1 Corinthians 15. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I trust that you believe that today. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we don't have the words in our vocabulary to thank you. Please forgive us for not thanking you enough. For what was accomplished on the cross at Calvary, the debt was paid in full once for all, according to the Bible. I pray this morning, Lord, that most of all in this service that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. I pray that if there is one in this room today that does not know for certain that they have a relationship with you, Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ, that today could be that day. Lord, help us that, that we might just, um, for a few moments this morning, just put everything else to the side. Please help us to concentrate on why we are here, and that is to glorify the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. Thank you that we can say. With confidence. Indeed our Savior is alive. And one day. It can be any day. But one day. Our Lord and our Savior. Is coming for his church. Please help us to be ready. For that time. In the name of Christ. I pray all of these things. Amen.
0: Let's begin today by just thanking the Lord that we live because He is risen.
2: you are alive. Because you're alive, because you're alive, because you're alive, because you're alive.
0: I live. Let's all stand and let's celebrate that he lives. Hallelujah. about the man of sorrows who was so acquainted with grief. Let's sing this together.
2: So I
0: a verse of scripture with you. Actually, if you were here last week or reviewing last week. This is something, this is a verse of scripture that that Thad uh, shared with us. But I thought it was so appropriate because in Christ Jesus is our only hope. Not just a hope, but it is our only hope. And as he shared with us last week, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last days for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and hope is in God and God alone. And Jesus, is, and the <laughs> resurrection of Jesus Christ is what gives us our hope. That assurance that we are going to be in eternity. That death has been defeated for every one of us. So uh, listen to the words of of the group here as we sing, Hope Has a Name.
4: Jesus to me is, he's a person, he, I mean I've been told he's the son of God but if I don't necessarily believe there is a God then he may not be the son of God, he's probably just a person who had some messages for people who gave people hope and faith, I suppose, made them believe in themselves and each other. I believe Jesus was a person. Um, probably similar to the Islamic belief that Jesus was probably a prophet, um, someone who had a very strong connection to, uh, God or a higher spiritual being, but a lot of the New Testament, I believe, is probably more so stories giving us guidance on how we should, um, perform and fulfill our lives.
5: I think he was a real person. I'm not sure about the Messiah part, but I think at least he was a prophet and he had some very important things to say. And uh, regardless of whether he was real or not, or just how real he was, the lessons that he teaches are extremely important for us to be to be civilized. You know, that's the whole goal with all of the religions and governments and things like that is to make us all more civilized so we're not killing one another anymore and, and having wars and things like that. We need to learn to get along. And uh, um, that's, that would be the thing that makes us different from the rest of the animal world. So we can behave and can get along with one another, help one another. You know, compassion—that's that really, to me, is the essence of Jesus.
4: I do believe in Jesus, but I don't have a religion because, in my opinion—sorry, it's my opinion—a religion for me is a kind of evil business because religion put children against parents, parents against children, the world against the world. If you take the history behind all the wars that you had, the religion was there in somewhere. So I think, in my opinion, you have to say yes to Jesus and don't let the religion take over control of your mind. I think that Jesus came to earth in a man, fi- man figure, and I do believe in him, like, but I think that he's love, only about love. He doesn't judge you, like, because your color or sexuality or whatever you be. I just think that Jesus is love.
3: I think Jesus was human, and I think, I don't know, maybe for, for my explanation for myself is, that he was just a super smart person. I mean, people said he was the healer and everything. I think he had just more answers to questions that other people didn't have.
0: I also think he's, he was human, but I think he was like just like really nice and just like really smart and stuff. But I don't think he has nothing like supernatural. I'd have to say Jesus was a good man. Uh, I'm not sure if he was God or not. I can't really compare Jesus to anyone because, like, Maybe it's a bit to Gandhi, but that's about it. I can't really compare Jesus to anyone else because he was doing his own thing, you know, his uh, teaching, so to speak.
2: To me, Jesus is the son of God. Uh, Jesus is, I guess, a character
4: in a story, but it represents something really good, I suppose. I don't doubt that Jesus was actually a person, like he, he lived, but whether he was a messiah or a son of God or anything. I don't know if I necessarily believe that. Um, But yeah, he represented good things. He gave people faith and I guess that's a good thing.
3: That's a pretty revealing video, is it not? There are a lot of thoughts out there about who Jesus Christ is, and um, as you can see just from the video, um, we have a lot to do. We have a mission. If you belong to Christ today, uh, you have a mission, and that mission is to share the gospel, because as you can see, there's tremendous confusion about who Jesus Christ was on earth and who he is Um As I watched that video, I think I watched it three or four times, I was was just heartbroken to see how many people have this skewed view of Christ. There is no Bible there. I mean, the reality is that if you believe at some point, like the Bible says, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. So at some point in time, someone is faithful to share the Word of God with you and share the gospel of Christ. But I think it's important for us to understand that there's a world out there just like that, okay? And, and it's not like on the other side of the world. It, it's right here, okay? It's in Birmingham, Alabama. You know, it's in Alabama. It's in all the big cities, and it's all, all the states. There's mass confusion. So the question becomes for you this morning, um, what have you done with Jesus Christ? You know, what have you done with him? Not what has your neighbor done with him, but what have you done with him? And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, how many times have you testified to the fact that you believe? I think that's important to consider. I think that's important to to kind of take a look at in my life. Because if I believe something, then I want to share it. Doesn't that make sense? If I believe something, I want to share it with other people. And so, as you can see just from the video, if we were to do a survey in Birmingham on who Jesus Christ was, you're going to get those same kind of answers, okay? Um, We say, well, we live in the Bible Belt. Well, really, no, that's kind of gone. That's being erased. The reality is that we live in a world that is lost, and in a world that has little to no hope. They, say, they would say, my hope is in this life. My hope is in the things that I can accomplish, the things that I can do, the places that I can go, the ladder that I can climb at, at, at my workplace. I think it's important for us, to, not only just looking at the video, but thinking about the culture that we live in, coming to the conclusion that if you believe, you have much to do. You know, we should never ask the question, what does the Lord want me to do? We know what He wants us to do. He wants us to share the gospel. And so I just want to encourage you to think about that uh, this morning. Take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. I've got a little different um, section that I'm going to attack today with the help of the Holy Spirit. And uh, then the title of my message this morning is pretty simple. They were witnesses. I don't think that in my Christian life I've ever heard anybody talk about this particular verse. Although they might have, and I just was asleep. So it's possible that, you know, George spoke at some point on this verse, or Dr. Hughley, or one of my professors. I'm quite certain Dr. Talley did, since he taught 1 Corinthians. I might have been um, distracted. Who knows? But as I was taking a look at Easter Sunday and, and just praying through it like Lord what do you want me to do he kept leading me to this particular uh, passage and I was like looking for a reason to go away from it like okay Lord this is really uncomfortable I hadn't heard anybody talk about this I don't want to you know do something wrong and I want to make sure that what I study you know I only deal with what's, what's there and, and maybe even say hey look this is what we don't know and that's what we're going to take a look at today what we don't know and what we know but I think when we think about the resurrection of Christ, we have to be prepared to, to share with people not just verses 3 and 4 of this chapter, which talk about the fact that he died and that he was buried and he rose again. But I think we need to be prepared as we share with people who have questions like these guys do on the video, right? Um, you know, Be ready to share, hey, look, Jesus Christ, not only died on the cross and not only was he buried, but he rose again and he appeared to people. In fact, hundreds of people. And that's probably something that's not talked about a lot. In fact, I would say that for the most part, many of us have landed the plane in the Gospels when it comes to the post resurrection appearances of Christ. Like we know these particular passages, maybe we're familiar with them. You know, his appearance to Mary Magdalene, the other women, to the disciples on the Emmaus Road, to Peter. Uh, To the disciples, and that's uh, correlating passages there, to the eleven, including Thomas. Uh, We may be very familiar with those. If you remember uh, last last year, and I know you do because you're brilliant people, you remember we talked about Thomas. Um, You look at the post resurrection appearances further, it's to the seven disciples while fishing, right? You remember that context in John 21, and then to the eleven in Galilee, to James and the apostles to the apostles in Jerusalem in Acts 1, and then to Saul on the road to Damascus. And so those are pretty well known, right, I think, a lot of those. There may be a few of those, like John 21, who, where there's not, I've not heard a whole lot of discussion about that before. But this particular um, text we'll look at today, um, I don't think there's just a tremendous amount of discussion. And the reason I think that is is because there's not a lot said. Right, when you approach a, a subject, and, and there's not much said. You're like, eh, you know, you kind of get wiggly and like, no thanks. But I think in this particular case, we need to get pretty familiar with this particular verse because I think it's really, really important for us that when we have opportunities to share the gospel of Christ that we're able to kind of talk about it. Does that make sense? Um, so, like, uh, I would love for you to study this further, and then you can come to me with your observations. I'd, I'd love that. Um, because one thing we know about every teacher of the Bible, they're not all-knowing, right? So, um, you know, we think of it when it comes to the resurrection of Christ, but witnesses, is just in Scripture. It's established that witnesses were important, okay? I think that, that's uh, something to think about. So that, so that we're not just saying, hey, there were witnesses to the resurrection, but that the Bible itself... Um, establishes the fact that witnesses are very important and were very important in the life of Israel, very important in the life of the church. I gave you some verses there to think about Um, in Deuteronomy uh, 17 and 19. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of, what, two or three witnesses. Okay? This was guidance for Israel by the way. 19, uh, 15 says, in the mouths of two or three witnesses let a thing be established. So we're not just talking about one single person here. I think that's very important to, to consider. It doesn't mean that, that when the Lord appeared, appeared to Peter or to James that wasn't significant. It was, but that's, it wasn't just them. There were several other occasions. And then if you go to the First Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So, in other words, you don't just point the finger and say, hey. But, but there is this you know, collective understanding, hey, something's going on in the life of this elder, and we need to approach that person, but it needs to be done two or three people. You see that? So it's established in the Bible that witnesses are very important, and I think a lot of times it's just thought about maybe in the context of the resurrection, but there are other passages that deal with that. Um, it's interesting, I didn't put this up there for you. You know, I don't want to put everything up there for you. Some stuff I'm just going to have and hold on to, but... Um, Lee Strobel, I don't know how many of you are familiar with his writings um, you know, He was an atheist who um, Came to be a born again Christian, wrote several books Probably the most popular, The Case for Christ By Lee Strobel, and if you hadn't read that book, I would encourage you to do that, right? Because, again, if you go back to the video and we think about our culture There are so many people that are questioning And I, can, uh, I cannot imagine any believer Having the thought that it's not important to witness So that God provides opportunities during our week for us to be able to share the gospel. I had an opportunity this last week to share the gospel with about 22 to 25 high school baseball players. I mean, I I, I walked out like I was on cloud and I was like, Lord, I I just got to share Christ with these guys. You know, I just just got to share about my belief in Christ and, and the importance of them knowing Christ. Um... So, it's important for us to consider that witnesses to the resurrection are there for us to consider and to, to stand on, but um, I think it's also important that we have, as we go through that, as we have the mind that, you know, we're just not memorizing facts, but, but we have this in front of us so that we can share the gospel with other people. Does that make sense? We're not just holding on to information, so I can't imagine any of you who know Christ this morning not taking advantage of an opportunity now, that doesn't mean that we're not scared. Any of you on that, in that wagon, right? I mean, you're, sometimes you're like, I'm pretty scared, Lord. Well, you know, we know from, Timothy's, uh, from Paul's writings to Timothy that he was a timid man. He was a timid man. And Timothy was a big part of, of the churches. So the Bible says in Timothy that Paul reminds us, hey, look, the Lord's not giving us a spirit of fear, right? He's not giving us that of timidity. But he's given us power. And here's the thing about sharing the gospel is that the spirit of God, the power you need, it's in you. If you belong to Christ. Um, and for me, listen, just like Timothy, I, didn't, I don't have the gift of evangelism. But you know what Paul didn't do? Paul didn't give Timothy an excuse. In fact, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Which Timothy had to be going on me. Right? It, because he was a little more timid. So you may be one of those people that are like, Lord, I, I just can't do this. And in and of yourself, you can't. But with the help of the Lord Jesus, you can do it. As we come back to thinking about witnesses, Lee Strobel wrote this in The Case for Christ. He says, If we were holding a trial to determine the facts concerning the resurrection, and if we were to call to the witness stand every witness who personally encountered the resurrected uh, Jesus, and we cross-examined them for only 15 minutes, and if we went around the clock without a break, we would be listening to firsthand testimony for more than 128 hours or over five days worth of testimony. (laughs) That's a lot of time. That's a lot of people. You say, where do those people come from? Just what we just saw? Well, that's what leads us this morning to the verse that I want to um, talk about. That, um, I don't know how much you've considered it, but there's... A verse that tells us that there were five hundred, over five hundred brethren, who witnessed the resurrected Christ. You know, we can't, we certainly don't want to toss them to the side, right? And just read it and go, okay, there were five hundred plus people, but we need to consider, right, for ourselves this morning what we don't know about these people, and then kind of what we do. And the do part is just one verse. So you know how I am with one verse; I can just do one verse. So we're going to do that, but I want to consider some things this morning as we come to this text, the things that, um, that we don't know. First, let's look at the verse itself. Ah, I didn't put that in for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. Look what it says. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Now you would see, that would be pretty easy to kind of just run through and go, that's great. But we need to have the mindset that it's there for a reason. It was there for a reason to the original audience, and it's there for us to consider as well. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, um, part of the witnesses that Luke refers to um, in Acts chapter 1 would have been these witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And you know in Acts chapter 1, I'll just read this, he writes to Theophilus and it says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, listen to what it says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so they would have been a part of that. In that window, there would have been an appearance to the 500+. plus. Now, I want us to look at what we don't know first. And um, I don't know if this will even be interesting to you, but I wrote it down. So maybe you might think about it too. We don't have the names of the 500. We don't have any names. Now, we have names of others, right? That we know. And even Paul includes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 some specific people that saw Christ. But we don't have the names of these people. We don't have the ages of these people. We don't know how old they were. Right? We just don't know. I mean, are we just talking strictly adults like we think of adults? Was there young people there? We don't know. I mean, an adult then wasn't like we think of an adult now in terms of age. Right? So, what was the age breakdown? We don't know the background of these people. Paul doesn't tell us the background of, of these 500 plus. And notice, I, I've I've read enough about this that... A lot of people just focus on 500, but that's not what it says. It's more than 500. Well, how much more? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't have to know. But that's a whole lot of people. That's more than just the ones that we looked at a few minutes ago. So you have to do something with that. If you're a skeptic, right, you have to go, well, okay, hold on a second. There weren't just a few apostles and Mary Magdalene and Mary and the other women. I mean, man, there were a whole lot of people that saw the resurrected Christ. We don't know where he appeared to the 500. Now, I will say this in fairness, that there are some theologians that put this event in Matthew 28, right? At the Great Commission. So, I don't necessarily hold to that view. I don't know if I've had long enough to think about that view. I, I, don't, I, I find it interesting that um, it, it's not recorded in the Gospels. We don't have it specifically mentioned in the Gospels. Um, and so, we don't know where that was. Um, we don't know what time of day he appeared to the five hundred plus. We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us, uh, and we don't know what he told them. But we know this: when Christ appeared to the others, it made a difference in their life, wouldn't you say? <laughs> you say, how do you know that? That read the book of Acts, right? I mean, all through the book, of these guys are willing to give up their lives. For Christ. I mean, you have to do something with that. These guys weren't insane, right? There's some theories out, like the, the disciples stole the body. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you going to actually go out and give your life for a dead man? You ain't got to do that. So, we don't know exactly what he told them, but, or if there was any conversation, I don't, the Bible doesn't say, right? But, I think it's interesting to look at this group of people and just, like, I don't know, I did this in my office. I was like, man, Lord, to be one of those people, would that not have been awesome? And and you go, well, it would have been awesome. Dad, but we we didn't live back there. We live now. That's right. And we have the full revelation of God. And so the question becomes, what have we done with what we know? We know he's alive. We believe that. If you're a believer, you believe that. So what have we done with that? This is what we do now. This is where we want to talk for just a few minutes. I won't keep you all day. I know maybe some of you have a ham in the oven or whatever it is. We eat ham at Easter, by the way. That's just one of those unwritten rules. We eat ham. And eggs. I love the what he called deviled eggs. Those things are so good. Don't put sweet pickles, that's nasty. Uh, don't do that, right? And don't decorate it with all that red stuff on there. I, you know, just give me a good egg in there mixed up. All right, we're off the subject. This is what we do know. We know the account of the 500 is only mentioned in this letter. We do know that, okay? That's what we have, um, and I think that part of that reason is because of what, in context, what these Corinthian believers were going through in terms of their own resurrection. They were questioning that bodily resurrection. I don't know that they were so much questioning the resurrection of Christ. That wouldn't make sense because they were believers. But I think they were questioning their own bodily resurrection. And so Paul has to spend a whole chapter talking about that, right? And giving them hope. And, and, and we have the hope because Christ has been raised. He's the first fruits, right? So, John MacArthur writes, there's no distinct record of this account of the Gospels. We don't have it. Um, and any apologies to professors who may have taught me this, and I just forgot it. I probably did. Um, okay, so we know the account of the 500, from what we can tell, is only mentioned here in this letter. Uh, we know that he appeared to the 500-plus after that. Now, that might look kind of... Uh, I don't know, like, what's important about that? But if you just follow the Scriptures, look what it says in verse 3. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and that's Peter, by the way. This is his Aramaic name. Then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than... Da, da, da. So after that, so after what he's recorded here. Um, is it interesting I find it interesting that he begins in chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 talking about what he had done there's kind of this accountability thing he's going hey I shared the gospel with you but then you get to verse 3 and what's he doing he's sharing the gospel with them again now I want to encourage you as parents with something you can never share the gospel enough with your children like you have here the apostle Paul who spent time in Corinth who shared the gospel with these folks he's recalling that right And then what's he doing? He's sharing it again. I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's a really great pattern for the New Testament church. Not to assume, well, I'm in an audience today, like you might be going, I thought everybody in here knows the Lord. Well, I don't know that. I would have to assume there may be some in here who don't, if I was going to assume anything. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's giving them the gospel. And later in chapter 13 of the second letter that he writes, he says, chapter 13, verse 5, test yourselves or examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. We can't do that enough with people. right? I believe in eternal security. Once a person knows Christ, they're, they're sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. I believe that. But I don't believe we can afford to take a pause and go, well, they've heard all that. Let them hear it again. Right? I mean, you don't just say Roll Tide one time, do you? You did... <laughs> you say it over and over. And I, I try not to ever say that. You say it over and over and over again. Right? So when it comes to the gospel of Christ, we give that to our kids over and over and over and over again. And listen, I know some parents in this room who have older children who still aren't saved. And I know they shared the gospel with them when they were young. So we can never do that enough. Okay, So it says, after that, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. By the way, that's an interesting little phrase there, to the twelve. Maybe that's for next year. (laughs) Because I got to studying it, and I was like, oh my goodness. right? I know that maybe he's using that as a heading, but if you start studying it, you're like, hmm, okay. So that'll be for next year, Lord willing. Third thing we know, he appeared to hundreds of people at one time. Now, obviously it's this verse. But I wanted to give that to you, and and I wanted you to, to consider this, that the appearance is described as being to them at one time. And that's doing justice to the Greek term that he uses. The Greek word affirms this appearance to the 500 plus would have been while they were all together. What must that have been like? There's a whole lot of rejoicing going on. So, hey, listen, it's great to see all of you guys here today and you're rejoicing because Christ is alive, I'll see you next week because we can do the same thing. <laughs> right? Just because it'll be the 11th of April doesn't matter. We can still celebrate the resurrection of Christ next week. Right? So he appeared to all of them together at one time. Um, what You say, why is that important? Well, it only strengthens the argument, does it not, that he's alive. But it also puts to bed, or to rest, a theory that is out there called the hallucination theory. Okay, And I'm sure that some of you have heard of this theory. This theory says that the disciples really did see Jesus, but the, these sightings were merely hallucinations in the minds of Christ followers, not genuine encounters with a resurrected man. Well, you remember the little guy in our congregation about a little over a year ago who was dressed up in this, like, Interesting outfit. His name is Josh McDowell. You Remember that outfit he had on? If you missed him, you something was going on with you because, I mean, he stuck out like an Easter egg. Um, so he writes this. A hallucination is an internal experience, not triggered by anything externally. This is why no two people have the same hallucination. Because it is all internal and subjective. He writes, to have 500, I love this statement, to have 500 plus people have the same hallucination would take more faith than believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Right? Right. So it puts to rest by that appearance of the 500 plus that particular theory. Um, The fourth thing that we notice here in this verse is know the 500, we know the 500 plus were brothers. Brothers in the Lord. The word brethren there was used figuratively in the New Testament to refer to fellow believers. Okay? So Paul uses this word to identify the fact that there was a common bond between these 500 plus people. And what was that common bond? Jesus Christ. What's the common bond we have in here? Right? Those of us who belong to the Lord. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Jesus Christ is the common bond. Just to kind of give you some evidence that that word occurs other places, um, in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writes, I do not want you to become an unaware brethren. Same idea. That often I have planned to come to you. And then there are two other verses I give you just so you can look up more. Take your strongest concordance this afternoon. There's all kinds. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven... Men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And then in Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, And most of the brethren, trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. We live in a culture where um, you don't always hear respect, do you? Right? Right? So, that sometimes people are not referred to um, with respect. And, like, um, you might say Mr. So and so or Miss So and so. And sometimes we, we look at, at people, the way they address others, and we're like, what are you doing? Right? Um, because we, we sense a lack of respect. You know, titles are very important. We don't just take titles for granted. I don't think we can take this title for granted. I think we have to look at this and say, you know what? It was a privilege for Paul to be able to call Timothy his brother. It's a privilege for you to be able to look across at the person next to you and say, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. You know, one of the greatest things that happened to me this last year was when this little boy came into my office after getting saved. And he sat down and we had a conversation And one of my biggest thrills was to hear what he said to me. And he's a young dude, young guy. And this is what he said, and I put it kind of in paraphrase because I couldn't remember exactly how he put it. But he said, Mr. Thad, he might have said Pastor Thad because I think that's what he calls me. He said, Pastor Thad, do you know we're brothers now? Like, if I was going to have an out-of-body experience, it was going to happen then. I mean, it was just amazing. I was, like, coming unglued. I, was, I had chills. I was like, this young man understands that there's a bond there. It was good stuff. Thank you, Kenny, for that. Isn't it great to be able to call one another brothers and sisters in Christ? How many of you have family and friends that you just can't say that to? Right? I mean, that's tough. That's tough. I have family and friends that, that I know don't, even if I just took family, I have family that doesn't belong to Christ. And I may identify them as an aunt or a cousin or whatever, but, and that's true, but, but I can't look at them and know without a doubt that they belong to Christ. That's tough. See, because if we're believers in Christ, we know that, hey, the Lord is coming back one day. We know the end of the story. We can say it like that. That there are going to be people that are forever going to be ushered into heaven. But there are going to be people that are forever going to be away from the presence of the Lord. It should disturb us. So I was thinking about our missionaries. That God's raised up in this church. Just this church. You know why somebody picks up and goes across the world? Christ. They believe. They want people to know. How, do you, how in the world do you, do you explain a Bob and Judy Ambrosius? Right? They might be able to explain Judy, but how do we explain Bob? <laughs> I mean, how do you explain that? I remember my grandpa, Almond... I just absolutely loved hanging around. When I first was called to New York State, he said, Thad, why are you going to New York? I said, Grandma, I'm not going to the city. He said, but why are you going to New York? You know why I went to New York? That's where the Lord wanted me to go. Whether it was New York or Texas, whatever it is. You know, young people, I think one of the challenges that I'm seeing today with our younger people is And I don't mean this critical, so I need you to understand that. I just mean like, I don't hear a lot of younger people, some, but when I say younger people, I'm talking about 20s, you know, that's young to me, that are saying, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Now, I'm not throwing that out as a, um, um, like a complaint, or or like I'm, Um, putting you down anyway i'm just saying that there's a testimony in this church that i see and have seen over the years of the lord calling out people just don't be closed-minded to what god might want in that because he he's the one that'll lead you and protect you and i know this even if he doesn't send you anywhere we we have a mission here um all right i could talk about that for a while. Fifth, we know that most of them were still alive. Now, that's pretty incredible when there's been about a 25-year period between um, when Paul writes this and the resurrection of Christ. Most of them were still alive. What does that mean? Most of them were still doing what? Testifying about the fact they saw Christ. That's what they were doing. People say, what were they doing? That's what they were doing. You would too if you saw that. You'd be like, ha, <laughs> ha. He's alive, he's alive. Obviously the song, He's Alive, wasn't, wasn't out then. But you'd be going, He's Alive, you'd be singing it. That's what we do, right? We sing it because we believe it. You know, for them, as long as the Lord gave them breath, it was an opportunity for, for them to testify of the risen Christ. The word here has the meaning of being present or living. living. In context, it means that most of these folks that Paul's talking about were living. They were alive. I like what Charles Ryrie says about this particular um, statement. He says the reference to to the 500 plus is of great apologetic value. Especially in light of the fact that the resurrection was still being attested to by living witnesses some 25 years after the event. (laughs) You know what's really awesome? Is that those guys who were part of that got to testify about him every single day. Can you imagine what that must have been like for them? That changes the dinner conversation, doesn't it? You get invited to somebody's house and they're like, hey, let me tell you something. See, that's the way, to me, it should be for us. Even though we weren't there, it should be that way for me. Where I'm like, Lord, I just can't wait to be in an opportunity To be able to share Christ with others. And you know that's something that for me personally. And I can't talk about you because I don't know what's going on in your walk. But for me personally that's where the Lord's been challenging me a lot. Is hey Thad be willing to testify to people about who I am in your life. And how I've changed your life. I coach a softball team and I had an opportunity yesterday to talk to those softball girls. Pray before you coach a softball team of girls. I love them, and I love hanging out with them, but, whoo man, I'm not connecting the dots at times. But I know this, when I sat down with them yesterday after we got beat pretty good that second game, and we got beat pretty decent the first game, I sat down with them afterwards, and they're sitting in the grass, and I'm just talking to them. And I'm just sharing to them, sharing with them about the most important things in my life. And I talked about my faith, and my family, and my friends, and this body. And I told them, look, the most important thing that you need to consider is what have you done with Jesus Christ? We played a team that they just, man, they whipped us pretty bad. And um, so we're in, afterwards, they, all the girls get in a circle, right? And it's supposed to be a time of uh, picture of unity and all that kind of stuff. And uh, harmony, after you get your brains beat out. And so uh, Gina Roberts coaches with me, and I had told her, I said, I think I'm going to handle the prayer part today, and I did. And I, I did it because the spirit, I knew the Spirit was leading me to do it. It was just another one of these opportunities to think through what I'm, I'm teaching. And so I'm, I'm in that circle, and I just told all those girls, and there's probably 30 of them. I said, listen, and I shared with them. I said, this is the most important thing that you need to consider this Easter weekend. You need to consider whether you belong to Christ or not. You have to do something with that. So, I don't know, I look at this and, 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 you know, yeah, there was an opportunity, obviously, for these 500 plus to share over and over again. But we have that same opportunity in our lives to share with people over and over again the gospel of Christ. D.L. Moody says this, he says, Scripture does not tell us who the people were or where Jesus appeared to them, but they were known in the early church, and would have often been questioned about seeing the resurrected Christ. Imagine if that was one of of us, man. You saw what? Let me tell you. Right? I mean, you think about it, what an opportunity they had to be able to share. What a unique opportunity. All right. last thing um, I wanted to show you. Some had fallen asleep. Look what it says, verse 6. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. You notice there, uh, the Greek word, it means to lie down. We get our word cemetery from this word, okay? It was viewed by the Christians of the day as a sleeping place. Um, the earth, early Christians adopted the word for the place of internment of the bodies of their departed. So the question becomes, like, if you're sitting out there today... Um, And you're a skeptic or you're like, you know, what goes on with people when they die? You know, the Corinthians had that question. The Thessalonians had that question. It's a good question. There's nothing wrong with asking the question. Um, But there's a couple of scriptures that answer that for us. And I just want to read them to you as we close today. Because I want to close today with some hope for you guys. That while we weren't there, right, we weren't part of that 500... We have the privilege to be able to testify and to witness to others about what Christ has done in our lives and the change he's made in us. But it's not just now. We're looking for that hope of being able to see Christ face to face in all his glory. And so I'm going to ask you to do something unique. And Lord put it on my heart to do so. We're going to do it. I want you to stand as we read these passages because I think it's important for us as Christians those who belong to the Lord, to be on the same page when it comes to the resurrection of Christ and what's going to take place um, in the future. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verses 50 through 58 first. Now I want you to notice in both of these passages the last verse. Okay? Really, really important. Paul writes to this church, he says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. There's that word. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. How does that sound to you? The older you get in the Lord, the greater that sounds, okay? You're ready to trade in this. This uh, used up body. he says, We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That's what Paul's telling the, some of these believers who were struggling with this concept of, of being resurrected. He says, For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will put on the imperishable and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, listen. When we sing that song, we're more than conquerors. We are. Through Christ the Lord. Now notice how he wraps all this up. Because he spent 57 verses basically talking about the resurrection. Not only of Christ and the hope that we have there. But what's going to happen with, with them and with us who are in Christ. He says, and this is how he ends it. Therefore, because all this is true. My beloved, what? Brethren, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Lord, listen to me, what you do for the Lord is not in vain. and, and I know how this works. working for the Lord, we're looking for immediate results. We have to persevere, and we have to pray when we have to say, Hey, Lord, you bring this together, you bring together." through the efforts that I'm, that I'm doing and serving you, Lord, you bring together by your Holy Spirit the results. You remain steadfast. Listen, there's one, you could just preach this verse for today and the things we've been through this last year. We need to remember that we have a great calling if we're in Christ. And that's why he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Because he's alive and because one day those of us in Christ are going to be raised. <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me. I don't know about you. Sounds better than the ham that we talked about earlier. I want you to look with me in First Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't think there's a funeral that I've done in the last several years where I've not read this text. Because it's such great hope for the believer. And, um, you know, death for us that are standing around breathing now is still a mystery. Okay? It is. And so, no wonder the Thessalonian Christians had questions. The, the uh, Corinthian Christians had questions. And Paul just really, really encourages them with the truth of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. Notice what it says Chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed. That word there means ignorant. (laughs) We don't want you to be ignorant. Uninformed about those. Notice he says brethren again. About those who are asleep. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And the unbelieving world grieves like they have no hope. And all you have to do is attend an unbeliever's funeral and you'll see that. The grief is more than they can handle. Look at this. For if we believe, since we believe, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have what? There's that phrase again. Fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. And I like the way Paul puts that there. He's not saying it on his own authority. He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain, he thought he was going to be alive, <laughs> right? And, and listen, we do too, right? Don't you don't walk around going, well, Lord, you're going to come back after I die. No, I don't. I walk around going, Lord, please come now. But at the same time as I'm saying, Lord, please come now, I'm in recognition going, Lord, please come now, But but man, Lord, I've got lots of people that don't know you. So don't walk out of this place today thinking, hey, the Lord... You know, I, I don't, I'm not really not usable. He can't use me, yes. If you're in Christ, he can use you, and he wants to use you. He says that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Wow, that's a big, big statement. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the who? The dead in Christ will rise first. Hallelujah! All those people that we've known that, that have fallen asleep will be raised first. That's what it says. Then look what it says. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, and Paul again thinking of himself, we and all these other guys, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And I just love the way Paul phrases this. To meet the Lord in the air. Because my friends, listen to me, heaven is about the Lord. Oh, yeah, we're going to be reunited with those people we love who are in Christ. But but it's about the Lord. The centrality of heaven is Christ. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And notice what it says. And so we shall always be with who? The Lord. Never to be away from him, ever. So what do you do with that? Well, that's great. Walk out. No, no, no. Paul goes, hey, look, therefore, because all this is true, comfort one another with these words. Well, I don't know what you're going to do with this lesson on the 500. I got no idea. Maybe you'll go home and you'll research and study and you'll fill me in on some things I don't know. That'd be great. But I know this. They were there for a reason, right? And we're here in this time for a reason. And God has us here for the people next to us and for the people around us that don't belong to Christ. Well, let's pray, right? Lord, um, what it must have been like to be one of those 500-plus people. I mean, I'm kind of thinking... (laughs) they were probably never quiet. How could you be? You know, we see amazing things here on earth, and and we share with people for a time about our trips or whatever we saw that was amazing, and yet how do you compare the amazing things like Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon to you? (laughs) So I don't know how that looked. I don't know a lot of things about this. But I just know that Paul wrote it to encourage these, these believers in Corinth, and Lord, it just puts to, to rest so many of the arguments against Christ's resurrection, and Lord, if there's anyone here today that, that doesn't know you, I just I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, through your Word, that they might have heard today that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose the third day according to the Scriptures, and Lord, those of us who stand here today and believe that, we shout it. Lord, we are so glad that you're alive. Thank you for giving us purpose. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us encouragement. Help us to be bold as we have opportunities to share the gospel with others. And all this, I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
0: We would like for all of you to participate in this song. We've been standing for a little bit. If any of you need to sit down, feel free to do so. Remain standing if you would, and let's participate in this song, and um, let's just sing it together.
2: See it all made new we do
4: is all creation groaning is. is a new creation coming.
3: You come back next week. Um, we're going to start a series in 2 Timothy on the last days. And um, it's very appropriate for, for us today to consider some of the things that Paul says. And I think you'll really enjoy it uh, because it kind of, you know, brings together maybe even some of the things we've been going through in the last year or so. And I think it's important to have that perspective of um, what's coming and uh, to consider what's going on around us. So, I just want to encourage you with that. And I just encourage you today to be able to um, just pray about opportunities the Lord may give you to share the gospel. And um, again, I just want to say it's great to see all of you today. It's just a blessing. You know, probably we would say that in the past we might have taken assembling together for granted. We won't do that again, will we? Praise the Lord that we can meet. And we'll. End with this. I'm going to say He is risen, and you're going to say He is risen indeed. All right, you ready for that? All right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And you're dismissed.